All right, everybody, welcome back to the Mindful Hunter podcast. I'm your host as always, Jay Nickel. Good friend of mine, Jeff Landers, on the podcast today, and we got into everything black bear related. This is uh, definitely one of my hunting mentors I've had over the last few years. Pretty much everything I know about hunting black bears and a variety of other hunting kind of comes from him. So I was really grateful that he was able to hop on the podcast. Um, this is a good one for sure. So if you're interested in going out after bears this year, this is the uh, podcast to listen to. As always, if you could take a moment to engage with the podcast, like, share, comment, subscribe. If you want to support it directly, mindfulhunter.com slash shop. Go buy some merch. Greatly appreciated. Otherwise, enjoy the episode. So I think it would be cool to kind of step back a little bit because I think the primary thing for today is I really want to pick your brain about black bear because it's kind of the next big hunting season that's up around the corner. It's kind of what everybody's got on their calendar right now. But I thought it would be pretty cool too to back up a little bit and hear a little bit of the story about how you actually wound up with your particular territory. So how long have you had the what's what's the what's it's not concession what do you call it no it's concession all right so how long have you had your your concession uh 16 years now okay yeah about 16 and before that Mm -hmm. you were primarily guiding in alberta yeah i was solely guiding alberta for i started off whitetail in the edmonton bozone um I had as many as 16 tags in the bow zone um, and then bought the mule deer outfit down in Southern Alberta. And then I kind of messed around with waterfowl for probably four or five years, but it kind of overlapped with, with mule deer. So yeah, I just, you know, the, the waterfowl clientele was a lot different than any other clientele in the hunting industry. Very uh, particular and I just didn't enjoy it as much as I did mule deer. So I just kind of got rid of that and, and then, uh, yeah, then wanted to branch out. I was doing all fall stuff, right? So I started in September and, and going through, well, in Edmonton, November is the time to hunt there okay. really for, for retail because of the rut. And, um, and so I kind of was looking at BC, um, the thing with BC is you got to buy a whole area and they're very expensive. And so as a, I don't know how old I was, you know, in my th- early thirties, um, mid thirties, I guess I had to sell my whitetail outfit. I sold my mule deer outfit and bought the BC outfit. Okay. So you can buy like just tags in, Al- in Alberta. You don't have to buy the entire area. Correct. Correct. It's a great place to, to start as an outfitter because you can buy one tag. Okay. Okay. You know, so, and that's what I did. I started off with two tags in the bow zone, bought four more and then grew from there. Whereas here, or at least in, in BC, you have to buy the whole area. And I didn't want to have a financial backer. I didn't want to, you know, be tied down with somebody else. So I just did it until I could do it myself, which I'm really glad I did, but a lot of BC outfits are backed by us dollars for sure. Almost everyone. I mean, all the dudes who I've interviewed on here and it's usually like an ex client from earlier on in the career, they get a really tight relationship. 
guy's got a lot of money, wants to invest mm-hmm. in something, but doesn't want to play a real, you know, uh, active role. And, and that seems to be the model in, in BC for the most part. But then they, a lot of times they end up do playing a very active role in, in, you know, the success stories there. I mean, they're there. I know a few of them, but, you know, a lot of times as the BC resident who's buying these outfits, uh, you're kind of in a hole. You know, you're kind of obligated to your backer. And if that changes or your backer wants to sell. Anyway, I just decided. Sure. I wanted to go that route. Luckily, I, I was able to. So it kind of rises or falls with what I do. So the other which thing. Which is nice. I like that. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I I I I I couldn't agree more. I tend to do. I do. Have, I have a business partner, but the idea of having somebody that would at least were fifty fifty, so that having somebody who had controlling interest in something that I was putting my kind of blood, sweat, and tears into, I I don't think I would be able to sleep good at night. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I'm kind of curious because you know, like a bunch of like the legit OG bow hunters. And I've, even in my short time in the hunting space, I've seen bear hunting really go through a transition. Like, I almost feel like we're back in like a renaissance of bear hunting. Like, there seems to be a lot of appetite for it. People are super into it. There's a lot of content around it. But even five, six, seven years ago, from an outsider, it didn't seem to be that strong. So, and correct me if I'm wrong, A, when you first got your black bear concession, you were focused solely on traditional bow hunting and B, what was the climate like for bear hunting back then? Like what, how did it fit in with the rest of kind of the hunting space? Yeah. I mean, I I wanted to focus on, uh, on trad hunting. Um, but you realize very quickly that you're, you're going to go broke if you do that. And I have absolutely no, and never had any issues with compound hunters or rifle hunters. It's whatever you're into, which has been a bone of contention for some of the, the top guys in, in the trad world, at least 25 years ago. Um, now it doesn't really matter. Um, but, and so I switched over to, you know, to pretty much anyone and I'm glad I did, but, uh, yeah, me too. Back then it was more, um, black bear was kind of a, a side species versus like a guy's going to come and hunt whitetail every year. Right. He's going to hunt, um, mule deer every year, elk, maybe not moose, but those three mule deer, whitetail elk, most guys, even to this day, that's, that's their focus, you know, is that bears where you shoot one, you get a rug, you're done. And, and it's still that way to some extent. You know, I don't have, I have folks that come up every year, but my percentage of, of would be maybe 25, 30% that return. Whereas with whitetail, I, I had the same guys every year right? You know, for the whole time I had it. I never had to really look for bookings for, you know, whitetail mule deer, a uh, little, little more turnover there than whitetail. But, but yeah, now it's, now everyone wants to hunt them, you know, the bears and, uh, Cause they're good eating, you know? Yeah. With, yeah. At least in our area where they're eating natural stuff, they're very good eating. Yeah, I agree. So I wonder too, and I mean, I don't know, there's definitely, I wonder if social media has had a role. Like I feel that there, like there's a lot of dead zones throughout the year and like mm-hmm. you know, Turkey, 
I think turkey's kind of taken off too, but like turkey and bear hunting present this really interesting opportunity. And that's why I first started bear hunting. I couldn't imagine, I was like, I got to wait 10 months to go hunt something again. Like that's just, that's not cool. Like what, there's got to be something else. That was the whole reason I started going to Arizona for coos deer. It's like, what else are you going to do in January? You know what I mean? Um, so you and everyone else. Oh yeah. And now coos deer is on draw. Yeah. Coos deer is on draw down there because everyone is looking for something to, you know, I mean, there's no off season anymore. No. And, And social media has played a massive role in that. And the fact that for those folks who want to have content and there's thousands of them, they, they got to do something. And, and, and I mean, to shed hunting, you know, I, I started guiding shed hunters in the mid nineties. No one was doing it. And except for my, you know, guys, local guys were doing it, but we'd find 30 something whitetail sheds a day. Some were 10 years old because we didn't have rodents eating our sheds. Now you can't get out there. You go out and you see snowmobile tracks. I'm talking about up in, in Alberta, snowmobile tracks everywhere. Um, a couple of years ago, I was in Southern Alberta where we've hunted mule deer and there's two groups in the tiny, tiny motel I was at who knew exactly who I was and young guys just fired up, which is great, but everyone's videotaping now. And, and so, yeah, to answer your question, bears is just one of the one of the steps one of the stages for guys hunting and content which is good i mean i don't get a lot of guys i mean i shouldn't say that there's a lot of folks that come up and are videotaping and doing stuff which is great but uh it has changed quite a bit social media has changed hunting completely yeah in my opinion well, and at least bears, especially here in British Columbia, at least we have the population to support it. I don't think we have any shortage of bears. And I think, you know, especially areas like where you're at, I think there's a real strong argument that we need to knock down, not only from like a, a local residential and ag argument, but like moose calving rates and and all the rest of it. So I think it's not hard to make a pro bear hunting argument. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, for sure. And you've been up there with me the last uh, couple of years because I haven't had any, well, any American clients up for two years with COVID. And you've seen it. Oh, it's crazy. I've never seen so many. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's incredible. The good news is this year is we had probably the best moose year I've ever had. And my worry was that these these big boar black bears were going to be hammering the, you know, the the moose calves. And I saw as many moose last spring when you were up there, you know, uh, double cow, you know, calves with cows and stuff. I, I don't know what was going on, but, but, uh, I was happy about it that they hadn't decimated them. So, yeah, but no social media is, has, and, and for me, it's been a blessing because I don't have to go to trade shows. Well, that was going to be my next question. Where do you, where do the, seeing as the return rate is not as high, that would lead you to the conclusion that you got to have a fairly significant influx of, of new hunters every year. And you're not like an aggressive, like some outfits, like it's just nonstop, but you, I don't hear a peep from you about, unless somebody cancels last minute and you're looking for a fill up. I've never heard a peep from you actually like aggressively trying to sell hunts. So is it mostly... Mm-hmm coming in off of social media 
Uh, yeah, but I would say that it's probably 90% of my, of my clients are word of mouth. Right. They know somebody who's hunted with me, uh, and you know, have, have heard from other people and have come up and, and also, you know, some of the podcast stuff, uh, early on, especially a lot of people still, because I'll ask them now, how'd you hear of me? And it's ironic that, that I still get a lot from the gritty Bowman. Right. And that was what eight years ago, seven years ago. I don't know how long it was when those guys started, but um, so that plays a part in it too, for sure. Well, and I, like you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Maybe maybe more guides are this tied in than you are, and I just don't know that many other ones. But you also seem to know a lot of people who've been around the industry for a long time. Like you know, I can think of like different crews and TV shows that have come to your place up a few times, and you seem to be like more than the average dude kind of tied into that, which I wonder too helps out word of mouth. Cause there's that credibility there of like legit dudes who actually know what they're doing. Like to tend to like mm-hmm. to come and hunt with you. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you've been doing it for 27 years. Right. <laughs> you meet a lot of people, right. And yeah, a lot of people. So now there's no complaints. It's, it's been good. It's been good. Looking forward to, to a couple months from now you know, to, to get after it and see what's happening up there. Well, and I think your reputation precedes you too, because I I don't do a ton of guided hunts, but I, I bat like 50, 50 of like ones that are just like a terrible experience and other ones that are phenomenal. And it does seem like there's a lot more short termers kind of out there now that are younger guys and they're super into it, but there's not that you know, and it'll be interesting to see what happens after COVID too, because you can't help but have a concentration of ownership when this many guys are this hard up for cash over a couple years. But from my experience, there's not a ton of guys out there running outfits that have the similar length of experience as you. There tends to, I'm running into more younger dudes, which, which hopefully they're still there 10, 15, 20 years from now, but it is a little, like you're a little bit unsure do you know what i mean because it's like is this going to be a good hunt is it going to be a shit hunt do you actually know what you're doing you don't have the real you know long-term repeat clients to to get feedback from so i think that plays a big role as well mm-hmm. i agree and and for a lot of these young guides and i've had a lot of them a fair amount who've guided and then moved on um that's where they're going to make their you know these mostly the sheep guys, um, goat guys, you know, your longevity in the industry is, is pretty short because it abuses you, yeah. you know? And when you're young, you don't think about using trekking poles. You don't, you don't think about weight distribution. You don't think of any of that. And then you destroy yourself. And I mean, we were the same way I was, I mean, and I pay for it now. That's why I hire younger guys to guide for me, mostly for moose. Um, but anyway, these, these young men are, are and women are, moving on and buying their own areas and which is wise to do because then that's going to take them into their career. But a lot of them, mostly the ones who owed money, um, COVID destroyed them. You know, it really was difficult on the, you know, because they put all this money in and now whoever their lender is. And for a lot of them, it's us lender or friends or another outfitter. A lot of outfitters, older outfitters will give a, give you a deal pretty high interest rate, but if you don't pay it, they're taking it back. That's part of the deal, right? So uh, I've lost 
that, and it's it's sad to see because they got into it at the wrong time. You know, three years ago, you get into it, and you need to build clientele. You're going to get crushed. So, but the good ones, they stick with it, and they and they have. So, yeah. So this will be yeah. the first year in three years that you'll actually have a full house. Yeah, that's exciting. Not we it is big time, big time. And I've got the old guys coming back. Gary's guiding and Aaron is guiding, uh, both of which have lost their jobs. And well, one in healthcare and, and Aaron is a driver, lost their jobs because of COVID. So they're coming in strong. So yeah, it's going to be, the band's getting back together. It's going to be fun, fun spring, man. Yeah. I've never had a chance to hunt with Aaron, but I've hunted with, with Gary. He, he got me my first bear so I can, I can speak quite, he's quite a character, but he's like, you're hard pressed to find somebody else who like, and that's the thing. Like I can count on my hand the number of times I've been with a guy who gives you the confidence like Gary does. Like, yeah, he's a bit of an interesting guy, you know, and he's, and he's funny and stuff, but you never doubt that that dude knows exactly what the fuck is going on. Like this is the plan for the afternoon. This is where we're going. And when something's different, there's another thing to do. And it's just like, you're never kind of looking back over your shoulder being like, does this guy know what the fuck he's talking about? Like he, yeah, I just, I, I got nothing but good stuff to say about Gary. I think he's a great guy. I'd, I'd hunt with him any day. Oh yeah. Yeah. Gary's requested often, Yeah, you know, often, uh, from guys. And yeah, he's Gary's his own unique individual. And, uh, for instance, don't spray mosquito spray around the window of his truck. Don't put mosquito spray on inside of his truck. Don't get in with dirty feet. Yeah. I mean, there's, he's particular about his gear and, but, and don't take him off cause he'll walk you into the ground. Right. That's what he, he's known for. He's all legs, but now Gary's been with me, well, 25 years now. So that tells you something. Yeah. And Aaron has been 15 years, you know, he came with me my first or second year he's been off and on because he has a family and a big farm and but you know and Aaron's kind of a lot different than Gary's pretty chill can just sit there and hang out likes to tell stories and uh as does Gary so it takes the pressure off me I just sit there and listen to the stories I've heard a thousand times and then float in float out but yeah no I'm really looking forward to this spring I'm super stoked for it and and all the guys that are coming up and some gals are, are pretty excited too. Cause some of them have been waiting for two years. Oh yeah. And th- thankfully the majority of the folks that, that weren't able to come two years ago moved to last year and then moved again. So I didn't have very many that said, Hey, I want my money back. Right. Which helped me a lot. You know, it helped me a lot. And I really appreciate the fact that they, they were, you know, they did it that way. So hopefully it pays off for them and I'm sure it will. I think the other nice thing sure. too, and this is a, this is why I urge black bear hunting and even a guided hunt for people's newer hunts. It's not crazy expensive. Like if I had 40 grand out on a sheep hunt, I think I'd start getting nervous when they were like, maybe next year, maybe next year. But like, you know, whatever the, you know, four to five grand or whatever a, a, a black bear hunt is going for these days. Like, I think that's a little bit of an easier pill to swallow and you can still sleep good at night. Having it, having that out there, you know, I think that helps. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And being that the success rate is so high, Yeah, you know, and and you're super picky, um, but we don't let guys shoot or, or we try not to shoot sows. If we shoot sows, they're usually over six foot and we just didn't judge them properly. But 
it's a it's a high success hunt that it's a lot of fun, man. I mean, you're not beating yourself up no. getting that four hours before you know for flight and hike in. It's it's very very comfortable and for all physical capabilities, you know. So, so let's let's talk um, about that yeah. actually because I think I I kind of had my head on backwards. I I used to like try and get into these badass areas to go for black bears. And now after hunting with you for a few years, kind of switching my mind. And instead of like going where I want to go and hoping to find a bear, I think more about where do bears actually hang out, especially in spring. So what's the, what's the general approach would you say, as far as spring black bear goes in your area? Like what type of things are you doing? That's, that's getting your success rate up that high. Well, these bears are, are hibernating five to six months. So imagine not eating in five months. And so when they get up out of their dens, they move down. And some of them are in the valley bottom, but some of them bit, are, uh, hibernate a couple thousand feet above the valley floor. They just head down. And the first green, they're going to start feeding. So early on, I, I focus on, on food source for sure. And a good food source, uh, say like a field that's got, you know, that's in the sunlight um, and, and is growing. Anywhere where there's really good feed, clover, um, dandelions are massive. Dandelions don't start popping until mid-May. But uh, any places like that, I focus on because the big boars are going to come in. And, t- and I mean, that's it's territorial for them. They get into a good spot. Nothing's going to mess with them. Right. And, and early on, like we're starting this year, the very, the last week of April. And so it's not like they're, they're, uh, dumping every 30 feet like they do, you know, later until they fill that, uh, you know, their stomachs up and their intestines and they push out that plug that, that, you know, they eat the, the hair on their backs and, and clog their system. So when they're in the, in the den, they're not, they're not crapping everywhere. And you'll find these big clumps of hair, you know, piles of crap. They're just nothing but hair. Once they blow that out, they're crapping everywhere. So we'll, we'll also focus on, we keep an eye on, on where they're, where they're crapping along the road or in fields. And then we'll, we'll start to, to zone in on that. And a lot of times we'll clear them off the road. So no one else sees them. And, and- I've shuffled off many piles of crap. Yeah. Well, even when I'm like scouting back roads, I even try and drive over them to at least remind myself which ones I've seen mm-hmm. and like which ones are, are new. So when you go back out the next night, you can at least tell if somebody's, you know, been back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we just run them over because otherwise you'd be shoveling all day. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, so that's kind of where we focus um, early on. And as time goes in, you know, the rut, starts the end of may uh during that early season i'm really keeping close to those sows aren't really they're pretty localized they're not wandering far unless they're bothered and once once we get towards mid to late may i start to focus more on where the sows are because the big boards are going to move in and then in june it's it's a melee you know they're but they're driving them in and out and following them and whatever so yeah and what, just different. what part of the season is your favorite or do, or do you think there's just different, different parts of the season have benefits for different reasons? We kill big bears all through 
May and June. Right. Um, early, early, they're more stationary. So for bow hunters, it might be a little better in the fact that they're in one spot. But then, in a, you know, on the other side of it in June, when they're on a sow, they do not care about you. Right. They're very arrogant. They're very cocky and it gets them killed because you can wolf at them. You can, I used to charge them until my guide got mauled, um, on the, on the moose hunt and, uh, or on a moose hunt. And so I changed my tactics because I would take them way too lightly. You know, a big boar black bear, we'd move in heart rate would be pretty much the same Go in, You know, if there's a big boar grizzly heart rates off the charts, right. Yeah. Should, there should be no difference. None. They, they both have the capability of beating you to oblivion and they do, you know, if you're stupid. So now we, you know, we use predator calls a little bit, but that's also a recipe for potential disaster. And, uh, like what happened with Dave Kieber a few years ago yep. when, when I shot one that I have life size, that, that thing came in and Dave should have been mauled, you know, so we're very careful with that. But later season in, in June, the, all the, you know, the stuff is growing up. The, the foliage is full. Those boars are following sows and, and they get in and out of cover where you can't get a shot. And so you have to use something like a, uh, um, predator call to do it, you know, to get them in, which is fun, but you gotta be on your, on alert when that happens. Yeah. People always ask me why I don't, when they see some of my bear hunting videos and it's normally cause I'm out there by myself. And for me, it's just a risk reward thing might be some additional benefit, but because I'm sitting there by myself, the other thing is they come in quiet, man. You know, that one field I hunt quite regularly. Mm -hmm. The amount of times I've seen like someone come out like 40, 50 yards down from me, just right out of the timber. And you didn't hear anything. There was no crack in the sticks. And then just all of a sudden they're like right there. If I had been blowing something, you know, there, I just find they're, they're, I had, I had a bear come into elk calling one time I was on Haida Gwaii. And uh, I didn't even see him till he was like 10 or 12 feet away. And once he saw me, he did that, like, what the shit? And then like, just turned around and took, like, he was expecting to find, I think I was doing like calf calls or something like that. But, and it clearly was not what he was expecting mm -hmm. to see, but that's my only note of caution when it comes to predator calls and stuff. So if you're by yourself, not, not, not for me, especially yeah, there's not, so that's many smart. grizzlies in your area. Like it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're getting, they're getting more and more, but hopefully they open that up here in the next 30 years. No, who knows? We got to get rid of the NDP, but I don't know if that'll ever happen. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Luckily we've, we've been pretty good with, uh, with the Grizzlies, but, um, it's just a matter of time. You know I mean? Mostly early, the Grizzlies are down low in those fields on the logging roads. That's why we don't use the e-bikes as much anymore because we've had some very close calls. And, uh, you know, when you're telling your hunters that in case of an attack, you fall to the ground, you pull, you know, maybe you shouldn't be using them, you yeah. know? I mean, it's safe for me because I'm the first one through. So whoever's second or third behind me is going to be the one that gets wiped out. So I find that, you know, after a while, all three of us are all like, in tandem right next to each other because no one wants to get smoked right but it uh, it is an effective way to hunt mostly when the roads some of the washouts and you can access some stuff that's just but i'm on high alert on that at all times because it's you know you got your gun on your back what can you do you know you're gonna 
you have to slide and, and pull your, your bike on top and figure it out. But yeah, so I've mellowed out on the bikes, which sucks because they're really effective. Use them more now in mule deer camp than anything. But, right. So this was something else that was kind of new to me when I started hunting with you, but what, when do you like to go out as far as time of day goes? Well, afternoons, afternoons is mostly, um, like the, all of May and partway into June, really the afternoons are, are, and last two hours of light or last hour of light is when the big boars are out, um, which is an issue for some, some guys who come up and hunt. Yep. Uh, mostly guys that are motivated, own their own businesses, they're go, 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 go. It takes them a couple of days to learn how to relax. Yeah. And, you know, it's amazing how many people don't know how to relax and, you know, hang out and, you know, go shoot your bow or go lift in the garage, whatever you want to do. But uh, afternoons, for sure, like after six. And they come out during the day. They will come out during the day. They'll feed for 10 minutes. But then you're mostly with bow hunters if you move in and they get your wind, you're not going to see that boar again. He's going to, he's going to move out. So it's worked for us. I don't know. Uh, I know some guys who drive all day, you know, up in Smithers area, they just drive from sunup to sundown. They don't see nearly the amount of bears that we do, but you know, that's what they do, but we don't, we don't. And then the rut, we will go out uh, periodically during the day, you know, we'll probably with the three guides, myself and the other two, we'll alternate. Maybe one day Gary will take a guy out for a couple hours and just kind of look around, mostly if they're rifle hunters. And then I'll do the same or whatever. Cause you do want to get out and you do want to get after it, but you know, you got to be smart with these things. They smell amazing. You know, they can smell you better than any other critter and they don't mess around. That's why they're 10 plus years old when they're mature they know the deal. Right. So, yeah. I don't know. How'd you handle that when you came up? You probably didn't, you're kind of a motivated guy who's go, go, go. I, I don't remember. I mean, I remember when you were there the first time, but I wasn't guiding you. So, and if you're complaining, I, I just ignored you, but, uh, <laughs> you ignore me anyways. Um, <laughs> no man, that's what a part of, I love about it. Like I'm the dude who needs a day or two to like disconnect. Um, uh, but it's the <laughs> same reason I love going in the backcountry. Like I'm, embarrassingly addicted to my phone. Like it's my wife hates it. Um, but as soon as I'm in an area, like you got no Wi-Fi and you got no cell coverage at your house. And what's nice is you can drive 10 minutes up the road. So if there's like an emergency or you can phone the office and check in once a day, it's not like you're completely disconnected, but you got to intentionally go check your phone. And that was one of my favorite things and still is one of my favorite things about about being up there is that after that, it's kind of when you wake up the next morning, like the first night, it feels a little bit weird that you're not checking Instagram and you mm-hmm. don't got emails coming in every now and then. But when you wake up in the morning and there's no notifications on your phone and you just kind of stumble out in your socks and get a cup of coffee and sit down at the table and actually like make eye contact with another human being and just have a conversation. It's like, then I feel like I'm I'm settling into it. And I think that's one of the things that like, I'm glad you don't, I'm sure you get pressure to bring in Wi-Fi and the rest of it, but I'm actually glad you don't because I mm-hmm. think that would kind of change the whole experience. Oh, for sure. And I mean, we've had guys who come up who don't sleep well and they sleep the best they've ever slept up yep. there because it's quiet except for the trains, but you get used to those. And, uh, 
No, we've we've thought about Wi-Fi, but you know, if if I did that, I think everyone would be in their rooms and no one would really interact. And and you know, it's fun watching everyone go out and have competition, shooting their bows and doing whatever they're doing, right? So um, as of right now, yeah, we're we're not going to have Wi-Fi there. But I'm sure at some point they're going to have cell coverage that reaches there. I would, and, think so. uh, and, I would you know, yeah. eventually that's one of the primary reasons yeah. I like going to a hunt camp too. If, if I want the hardcore shit, I'll go do stuff by myself. It's the fellowship because I don't, you know, I don't have a large social circle and I live in Vancouver. So there's not a lot of people who are into the same kind of things, but like when you go to hunt camp, it's not a guarantee, but there's a pretty high likelihood that the other dudes in camp are going to be enough like you, that you're going to have a good time and have enough things to talk about and, keep in common and some of the dudes i still text with most to this day are guys i shared a hunt Mm -hmm. camp with you know three four five six years ago and i've probably never even actually seen them face to face since then Mm -hmm. yeah and they also they know that you spray tan and that you shave your body (laughs) right so and they still talk to me and still (laughs) yeah <laughs> How's that going? Are you, well, are, you, are you just to put it in context? Are you going into a competition here shortly? I think. Aren't yeah. You? Well, it's it's funny you bring up spray tan and be shaving my body because I haven't technically done either, but I will be doing both. Um, as of tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow's Friday. It'll be eighteen weeks. So starting to feel a little bit real. Like the nerves start to sink in, man. When you start looking like you're going to be up in your underwear and you know on stage in front of a pretty loud large crowd of people. And more than that, like I've always been, I've never been like a shredded guy. And like, I like food. If anything, I probably like food too much, which is, I think is why I'm so fascinated with bodybuilding. Cause it kind of forces me to confront one of my fears is that I'm not going to have the willpower to actually be crazy strict for four or five straight months in a row. And, you know, you know me well enough now that that's probably why I do half the shit I do is because it scares me. And I got this need to convince myself that, you know, I'm not a pussy and I can, and I can do it, but it's actually starting to get exciting now. Like I've been dieting since mid January, I'm down 11 pounds. I'm 260. I was 271 and starting to, things are starting to actually look like, you know, a bit of a bodybuilder. So yeah, I'm nervous and I'm excited Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's, it's, but I've been bulking for three years. So that's the other thing. Like I'm like, I, I feel like finally all the effort that I've been putting in behind the scenes that's not fun and you don't post fat pictures to Instagram and you don't, nobody really knows what you're doing. Like you don't get any recognition for it. That part is coming to an end and I'm actually getting to like the cool, you know, fun part. It's like coming up on elk season or something. You train all year for it, you know, and then you finally get to get to get in the game. You know what I mean? What color of Speedo are you going to go with, you think? You know, that's a very good question. It's something I was actually pondering the other day. And I think I'm already so nervous. It's going to be pretty subdued, like a dark, like just a black or because you see these guys with these like purple sequin jobbies. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I just don't think I'm that colorful. Who has that? um, Somebody has a saying. It might be Clay. uh, Don't wear a hat that has a bigger personality than you. And I kind of feel the same way about a pair of underwear. (laughs) I wonder if Barklow would do something up for you. Like in, uh, I don't know. Subalpine? Subalpine. That would be (laughs) awesome. Yeah, you should talk to him about that. I'm not so sure if that's the kind of brand recognition they're looking for, but (laughs) you never know, man. 
Sorry, dude. I didn't want to get off on a, on a side note, but I just, you know, I like to give you a hard time sometimes. No, it's all good, man. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> okay. I got a whole bunch of questions and I'm going to start getting into them because otherwise I'm going to, I'm going to drift off topic. We already talked about the time of the day. Um, we already talked about that. Well, this is a bit of a nuance in the question you were just saying. So if you find fresh bear scat, how long would you sit and wait before moving on to a new area? Man, I wouldn't sit just on scat alone. Okay. You know, I wouldn't. I mean, if you're, if you, if you're finding like uh, 10 piles in 200 yards, you've got something. And what I wouldn't do in that, or I don't do in that situation is I don't go driving by there or walking through there until it is prime time. Right. And I'd grab, you know, if you've, if you've seen a bear um, in that area and he's one you, you want to shoot, then I would back off and, uh, and get the wind and wait. Cause he will be back out there mostly early. Even if you spook one off the, you know, as you're going from point A to point B and you happen to see a bear, which happens dozens of times a day and he's a big one don't hit the brakes usually what i do is i'll carry like a piece of ribbon or something i'll go past where he was a couple hundred yards just put the throw the ribbon out the window or whatever i have go down the road sit for 40 minutes and then walk back he's going to come back out he's hungry i mean unless you but just don't stop if you see one feeding and he sees you just drive as if you're going to pick mushrooms you know just keep going and He'll dish in, but they come out very quickly. You know, within 10 minutes, they'll be back out feeding again. Yeah. So, yeah. That's great. I think that's great advice. The other thing I I got to do in last year was I'd just take little waypoints. Like if I pass 10 piles of shit in a row around one, because you find they like, like these weird bends and maybe it's where the food comes up first. I don't know, but they tend to like to cross roads in certain places. And if I saw 10 piles of scat in a row, I would... Uh, take a couple points and then stay out of that area for two days. And then when you go back, when you're two, 300 yards before that area, I would just like park the truck and stop and then like walk up and have a little look around. But it was surprising to me. And that was going off your advice, how habitual they are in that regard. Like you will see them on the exact same corner at like the same time of night, mm-hmm. unless you do something that's going to kick them out of that routine. Mm-hmm. Very true. Until the rut hits, right. but even then, when the rut hits, they they focus in that, that area. I mean, we 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 killed that big uh, cinnamon on la- that cinnamon bear last year. Yep. Uh, Trevor, you remember Trevor? Or were you there when he was there? Tall fireman, friend of mine. No, I think that was before. Maybe I not, came but in. we had pictures of this bear two years before uh, Baby Gap. It took some pictures of him. We saw him when I shot my bear. Um, he was tracking us actually, but he was within 500 yards and that was three, you know, two years prior and we killed him this year right there. And so, and you've been there and, uh, um, that big moose swamp remember off the side. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So you don't have to wait two days, you you know, if, if you boot them or if you see, you know, and the size of scat matters, it does. I mean, the diameter of them, you could tell, and if you spend some time and you walk around a little bit in the mud and see his tracks, you'll you'll know how big he is. It's worth waiting, and I've done that a lot. Where when I'm hunting myself, I, I will target a particular bear and kind of sit on the outskirts, move in with the wind, watch. Nothing happens, move whatever, and that's 
the e-bike was handy. But uh, they're going to be in that area as long as they're not scared out of there, you know, from a close encounter with you. Um, you're probably, if you're patient, which a lot of guys with bear hunting aren't patient because there's so many of them, at right. least in my area, they want to, you know, the grass is always greener around the next corner. Um, but if we sat and waited more, Gary's probably the worst for that. Cause he hasn't, he just go, go, go. You know, I keep telling him, dude, just wait, just sit there and wait. He's going to come out and he's gotten a lot better. But, um, if you get a hunter that's like him, they're going to be running all over hell's half acre, just looking at every little corner. Right. right. But, and that too, but be patient with the piles that you see and, and sit back and wait at prime time, like the last hour and a half of light, I think is best. Uh, what's the best way or what are some ways you use to differentiate male from female bears? You know, it's a, that's a work in progress. Uh, for me, it's, it's attitude, like the cockiness of, of a big boar. Um, the shoulders, the front end of a, of a boar is considerably bigger than his back end. You know, almost like a, like if you see a bear that's heavy in the rear end and, and slimmer in the front, even if it's big, it's likely a sow. Um, another thing with big boars on their on their wrist, they look like they got a like a bracelet on. It's like it's smaller right here than the rest of it. Like it'll go big and then it'll be small, and they look like they got like it's smaller right here. That's one thing. The crease in the head, obviously, but we've killed you know nineteen inch plus boars that have had no crease in the head right um the 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 width between the ears you know if you could fit three ears between his two ears you're looking at a big bear um but then you get these bears that are really long nosed which are the the, ironically the ones that score they got the big long nose um and, and thick like if you got three inches top of nose the bottom of the chin or more that's a big bear the small sows will be like three, two, three inches, and they're real narrow there. Um, but don't base each bear is different, and so a lot of guys when we're looking at big boars, they might be tall and five percent of their body weight in the den, and some have had harder, you know, genetics and whatever. But um, so you get a lot of tall and long bears, but they they look skinny, and that that always throw people off. Don't base necessarily by weight, but by length by shoulders um and attitude like a small bear will run if he sees you big bear will stare at you and, and kind of look away and then look back at you rarely do they run off like flying out of there they just kind of and a lot of times when they dish into the bush you can move up there and he won't be far mostly if you're making some noise like woofing at him but again i've kind of mellowed out on the woofing stuff i used to charge in after a woof and they'd hold their ground shot but i don't do that anymore yeah i don't do that anymore i think one of the lessons i learned last year was be careful with optics as well because up until that point every bear i'd shot i'd pretty much seen with my naked eye and so i was judging in real time and when i looked i shot a smaller bear than i should have last year and um and incorrectly guessed the sex and i think part of it was i was looking through a six thousand dollar spotting scope and the thing just looked gorgeous to me and then, and I think if I'd have yep. stopped for a minute and just, cause that's the thing, especially with archery, like you're going to be within 150 yards for a while before you take a shot or it's going to be on the side of the road and it's going to happen pretty quickly. But then you're close enough that 
you're judging it in relation to the other things that are around. I think a lot of bears, when they're filling that optics field of view, they look great. And I think you need to, I know I need to back out a little bit and look at them in relation to everything else that's, that's going on. And then you're like, yeah, that's not really, he's an okay bear, but it's not, it's not a shooter or whatever the case may be. I think they can, it can play tricks on you that way. No, that's a hundred percent correct because you can, um, I had one guy that killed a bear and it was like a hundred and something yards. It was with a gun. And we walked up to look like Mickey mouse. Yeah. His ears are huge. Right. You know, and, and it wasn't even a five foot bear. And at that point I'm like, okay, from here on out, I'm not shooting or guiding a person and having him shoot a bear at 150 yards. Right. We're going to get close to it. We're going to judge it and we're, and then go from there because you're right. You, every bear looks awesome from 200 yards out. Yeah. Mostly in the field, you shot your bear in this year. Yep. Both fields, you shot your bear this year. They look huge until you get close to them, and then you can really judge them. Yeah, that's a big mistake that a lot of guys, and we do it every year. We always have one bear. It's just like, what happened? You know what I mean? He just looked huge, and he wasn't, but yeah. Well, and I love your comment on attitude, because the second bear I shot that night, I knew within 45 seconds, and he wasn't the biggest bear in the world. He was a healthy-sized bear, but he was old. And he had a beat up kind of mm -hmm. war torn face. And you could just tell the way that dude walked. It was like, this dude's seen some shit. Like he just walked in tension and he had that jiggle to his fur that it was just like, like he had that ripply kind of look. And you just don't get that with the smaller bears. They have like a lighter footprint and it's not as like plodding. And I think the only way you really get that is to just sit back and like watch them. Like you can judge a mule deer in its bed because you're just looking at a rack. It doesn't need to move. It doesn't really need to do anything. I think bears are different in that regard. I think you're better off letting them do their thing for a little while and, and looking at that behavior and that attitude. I think that'll tell you a lot. No. And a lot of times, you know, when you're in open country and you're stalking them, they see you. Right. And, and you'll notice that they're looking back at you and they're not concerned. And then, I've many times I've had them kind of turn and, and they'll start kind of making their way towards me there. You can tell they're watching yeah. me or whatever, because they think I'm another bear and the big boars, they have this stiff legged kind of a, like they just kind of, it's, it's kind of a weird walk, you know, it's like Eddie Murphy in trading places, which is a very old movie when he was in the wheelchair and he's yep. like walking like that. Yep. That's how I, that's what, which all you, you know, clue what I'm talking about. But anyway, they have a, a body language to them. If they're running over small pine trees, like the, you know, a three foot pine tree and they're putting it between the front legs and walking over it, that's a dominant thing. And I've had many that I've realized at about 12 yards, uh, even with bow hunters, like you better shoot because he's about ready to, to come in. And so, yeah, after you've been around them a while, you kind of get to know their, their attitudes and, um, and they're not afraid of you, man. They're, they're not, they're not afraid of, of, uh, big grizzlies. I mean, a lot of these big boar black bears are torn up and I always thought they ran when they saw grizzlies until I watched a grizzly run away from a big black bear. Oh shit. Um, and so they're, they're very confident. So yeah, body behavior. And I, if you know, they're watching you and kind of looking over at you and they're not af afraid of you focus on them because they're, they're probably mature boars. Okay. So that's a perfect so. segue. Talk to me about your approach to stalking. Um, aggressive, conservative, 
you know, what's more most important sight sound? Like, how are you, how are you thinking about that with bears? Because in my limited experience, it's drastically different than ungulates. It's polar opposites from stock and mule deer. Yeah. Um, my approach, at least in my area in BC, the wind is very fickle. It can switch. It can, you know, move around. If I see a bear that's a hundred, you know, yards away and he's feeding i make pace I, I try to close that gap well let's say 300 yards i'll close the gap to 100 very very quickly and if they disappear i've actually ran usually with no boots on to within 20 over the edge and then wait and yep. and so a lot of times hunters are, are very confused when i start running because you've got a very short uh window to close the distance before a the wind switches or something happens or he picks you up and so where we hunt is old logging roads uh cut blocks um off you know kind of in and around in near railway tracks you know usually off of them ways and as soon as they're out of sight or they're looking the other way i really move forward very quickly and uh most of the time it works you know, most of the time it works, but yeah, you, you can't be stalking like you would a mule deer, bet a mule deer because he's going to feed away or he's going to get your wind or he's going to see you. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. You and I never stalk together. I don't think, but I'm pretty aggressive when it comes to moving in on them to get within range for sure. No, that aligns. And if it's know, quiet, I'm, I'm going off whatever you've shared with me as I've been up there. That's kind of what's it really informed my strategy. And I was talking about it the other day and I tried to explain it like this. There seems to be a bit of an X factor. Like some bears are going to get a weird vibe and just take off. Other bears aren't. And I'm almost trying to like figure that out as quickly as possible because you know, I, I want, I'm trying to get sub 40 for, for a bear. I think that's the other thing people don't realize like a truly black bear is a hard thing to aim at. It's like their coat just sucks in light. And like, you think you could take a 60 or 70 yard poke, but then when you lift up your pin, it's just floating around in this nothingness. And I, I, so I would like to get that distance, you know, as short as possible. And I found, yeah, I tend to be way more aggressive because some of them are just not going to give a shit. And it's kind of like, you know, different people approach elk calling differently. Some people are hyper aggressive and they're like, I'm just looking for that one bull that's willing to play. I'm kind of looking for the one bear that's cocky and arrogant and will stick around because some of them are at one glance just going to take off, whereas the other ones aren't. So, and that hole, as soon as their head goes, that was something else I picked up from you. As soon as their head goes down, I'm like in sixth gear and I'm looking at Mm -hmm. the bear the whole time. And then, and that's the other thing I find you can do with bears. As soon as they're lift their head, I just stop and look at the ground. I don't even necessarily Mm -hmm. try to hide. Like if I'm in decent cambo and I'm on the side of the road, I'm not going to get off the, like that's going to draw more attention to me trying to run down in the ditch, but just that stopping and a little bit of a crouch and just looking down at the road and not making eye contact. I find they'll like check me out for 10, 20 seconds and then probably just go and go back to doing whatever it is they were going to do. I would say 50% of the bears that we shoot with bows, especially are shot after they've spooked into the brush. Right. Like after they've walked in and ran into the brush, because they don't go in there far. And as soon as they do that, I'm moving up and I'm usually like woofing at them, like, 
and they'll they'll hold their ground a lot of times when you come around. And but I'm also carrying a 4570 with 400 grain buffalo bullets in it. I don't suggest you do that if you're hunting solo in British Columbia. You know, it, things go wrong. But and a lot of times those big boars are standing there looking at you. They're not going to sprint out of there. They're going to turn and walk, and usually you can get your shot. And that's that happens a lot, actually. A lot. Um, we already talked about that. Already talked about that. Rob has an interesting question. I'm not sure exactly what he means by this, but um, we've talked about this a little bit, but how soon would you feel it's okay to go back and invest in an ambush hunt? So maybe he's talking about gut piles or something, but we've talked a little bit about how long you think it tends for them to come back out. On a, on a gut pile. Well, he says in an ambush hunt, I'm not, what else would you ambush up? Uh, well, maybe he's just meaning the ones we see on the road and then we scare them away, which you've kind of already got into. It could be, it could be as little as an hour. You remember that one I shot in the ass and it came back out? Yeah. The the humongous one? Yeah. With the white. With the shepherd. Yeah. I yeah. think that's a good answer to that question. Like, I literally shot a bear in the ass, like, shaved the hair off of his ass. And that was probably six, say, between 5.30 and 6 o'clock. I went over there. Mm-hmm. I looked for blood for 45 minutes, found nothing decided to pull back out and around eight o'clock that dude literally walked out. And I know because I had, I went back to my same where I was spotting from. So the spotting scope was in the same position and everything. And that bear literally came back out to the exact spot. I shot him probably two hours Mm -hmm. after I shot him. And I could see the four inch kind of bald strip on the back of his ass. I think maybe what Rob's asking is, is like, if you have, like, for instance, most of these bears, and we've tracked them back to their beds many times, they're not bedding very far from where they're feeding. And a lot of times their beds have been there for years. Like, it's blown me away some of these places, these bears have been there for years. It's their place, right? So um, if they're coming out to a certain place to feed, uh, I wouldn't set up on where the trail's coming into the feed. I would, because... At least in where I'm at, the wind is so bizarre. So let's say there's a field, they're coming out in a corner. I wouldn't set up in that corner. I would set up back downwind far enough away where you can maneuver along the edge and get him when he comes out to feed. But an actual bear trail, um, yeah, mostly in timber where I'm at is is really risky. And he gets your wind when he's in his bed. He's not coming out there. So I would sit back a ways and watch and then when he meanders out then then go after him but yeah i don't know if that's what he was asking but yeah in my area that's what i would do i would that that makes sense air on the side of caution these things are wicked wicked smelling so oh yeah 100 percent, man okay so this is something being in bc we tend to just go on crown land and we never really have to worry about private property or something but bears are really the first time i'd ever I never thought about this. What's your thoughts on, you know, going and looking for some permissions and stuff for some ag fields and stuff. Like, is this a, is this a good tactic for like, 
you know, regular dudes to specifically for bears, do you think? Yeah, because bears destroy crops, mostly fall crops. Like in, in Alberta, the damage they do to oat fields is insane. And most landowners don't like them right. at all. And and so as long I think even with bears, you could probably ask the day of if you see one out there. And they're probably going to say, yeah, go ahead. And maybe that's what you're what he was talking about. Those kind of places. Right. You know, ag fields where they're coming. They like in the northern part of Alberta, it's really a problem. It's kind of like pigs down here in Texas. Right. Landowners don't like them. So you're going to have a lot better chance to get permission to go hunt a bear that's destroying his crop than a big whitetail that's going in doing the same thing right um at least in canada you know i'm learning down here in texas that it's a lot different here <laughs> when it comes to permissions and people just like no man it's like i ask you know can i take my dog and, and do training on your field no it's like really you know i'm your neighbor but whatever um it's different down here but but in places in the west those landowners don't like them and i have Last year, I had calls from a few landowners who were adamant about me not hunting bears. And now that they're kind of running everywhere, they say, hey, can you come kill this bear? It's, you know, it's like, no, I can't. It's a grizzly. And you're you're putting fish guts in your garden to grow your lettuce. That's probably why. Yeah. So I have gone down and tried to scare them away and, you know, shooting in the air, or scaring them out. Uh, mostly on this one older gal that's been having issues, but yeah, most people are good with permissions if it's wrecking their crops for sure. Um, what do you think the closest call you've ever had is with a bear? Um, there's been a few trying to think here. We had a, we had a wounded one that charged that had to shoot. Um, probably the one with Dave two years ago when we were using the predator call. And we we're after a different bear in a swamp. This is outside of my area, and I was just hunting on my own with my longbow, and he blew that call, and and uh, this bear came into him. It was 12 feet, four yards. I heard the hammer go back. I turned around, looked, saw the bear staring at him. And Dave's got a, a health issue. He's got a, what's called an LVAD, which pumps his heart. He's, he's got his heart's on the right side of his chest, and he's had all the valves replaced. So it's kind of a ticking time bomb. And so he was staring at this bear through the, through the scope of my gun, and I ran, and the bear kind of turned, looked at me, stood up, and I drove an arrow through his sternum. Um, that wasn't necessarily me. I've been pretty fortunate with, uh, with run-ins with bears. You know, we've had some close calls, but not like my guides, you know, Gary, Aaron, the one moose guide who got ransacked in the tent. You know, I've been pretty fortunate. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I've, I've had more close encounters forestry engineering than I have ever hunting. And they, they were all just like walk by things. I've never had anything where I was legitimately concerned. Um, talk to me about shot placement and your philosophies and how they might differ between a rifle hunter and an archery hunter. Completely different. 
with rifle, um, I, we, we want him to shoot him in the shoulder, right, right in the, right in the ball of the shoulder, right there where it just drops them. They're not moving. And if you hit it right, they're not moving. And, uh, the problem with that is, is if they're a little bit off forward, mostly forward, that bear is going to be gone. Right. But we try to shoot them in the shoulder for an instant drop, kill, reload. And if he gets up, shoot him. Uh, with a bow, I tend to have my hunters stay away from the shoulder. The shoulder can stop an arrow pretty quick. So I tell my guys, go center, dead center, vertical, dead center, horizontally, and move forward about three inches. So give that front shoulder good space. And if you hit them right, they don't go far at all. They're dead in under 100 for sure, usually under 50. But, uh, yeah. Which is a little different than a whitetail where you can sneak it in there and go in the crease. But, you know, you want to avoid the crease on a black bear with an arrow. You want to be back a little bit. It seems to work great. Yeah, man, I've seen some funky things happen with bears shot with rifles in your area. Like that little dead zone there between like above the lungs and under the spine where they can just seem to like soak up a thirty caliber bullet, go for a barrel roll and get off and sprint into the woods. And you're just like, how the how is that even possible? Mm-hmm. So and they drop when you yeah 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 remember Chris came right down like he oh yeah we're like high fiving and shit and then the bears running off through one corner of the field <laughs> you're like what yeah that's why I'm yelling reload reload you know yeah. and uh, everyone's celebrating it's like reload because I've watched many times get up and run away and we do not find them. At all. I'm more nervous with a rifle than my, I I just think because I've had such good luck arrowing bears, um, like the two I've arrowed up at your place, the the one dropped where he stood in that cinnamon one ran 30 yards into that Creek bottom. I feel more confident and I guess cause you're closer. So, but, but I've had a couple weird instances with the rifle where, yeah, I got to admit, I still have a little bit of anxiousness when I pull the trigger with a rifle on a bear. Although I brought that 300 wind mag last year and did the same thing, the shoulder shot. And both those bears didn't move six inches. It was like somebody just pulled a rug out from underneath their feet. Like it, they didn't even fall. They like just dropped. Like it was crazy and didn't, didn't move an inch. One needed a finishing shot, but he was physically incapable of, of moving. So it was like, and that leads me to my next question. Because you're in a very particularly thick area. How do you approach um, tracking? And when do you decide to go in? And when do you decide to leave it and come back? I err on the side of caution. And so um, most 99% of our bears are shot in the evening. If I don't hear the death moan or he doesn't drop in his tracks... Often, we'll go back the next morning okay. with air, you know, with 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 bow and with the gun, because you got six inches of hide, six inches of fur that soaks up that blood. So you're a lot of times you're fifty yards, and, you know, or thirty yards until you find your first blood, and it's thick. And you push them. If it was a bad hit, you push them. You're not going to find them. You know, it's it's you'll find them if, if, if they're bleeding and, and whatever, but usually we, 
we back out. It's cool enough in the evening. Nothing's going to get wrecked. Go back in the next morning, first light, and then and then carry on with our track. Unless we hear the death moan, we see him die, or you hear him crash in the, in the, in the brush. That's kind of how we we do it. I've never lost any meat that way, you know, going in and it's it's rotten or whatever. It's never the case. So, yeah. Yeah, it's stressful up there, man. The couple times, like that one that I shot, you go in there and you've got like sword fern up to your nipples and other stuff. And it's like, this could just be a black ball laying anywhere in here. And you wouldn't see him until you kicked him in the ass. <laughs> like, and the last thing you want to do is be creeping up on an, on an injured predator in the forest. Like, <laughs> and I don't think you think about that because you tend to see them at the edges of fields or on railroad tracks or on the edge of a river. So your mind is like, oh, this is open. And you take the shot and then instantly they're just gone. And you're like, shit, didn't really consider that was right there you know mm -hmm. yeah i mean gary gary tends to to go uh go in and look a little bit which i've given him crap for over the and it's worked out for him but uh you know i like to go in like if if we have a wounded one i really prefer to go in with one of my guides where we've got our system where one guy's on the blood, the other guy's kind of watching. Because not only do you have to worry about the black bear, you got to worry about a grizzly that's got right. on it, right? which I've never had happen. I have had, actually, where you where you hit the one in the, you know, skimmed it off his butt right there, one that was shot out with a bow, ran in. They waited an hour. Now, that was in the morning. They shot him, went back in. Another boar black bear had consumed all of his right hand and charged them and they, and they had to shoot him, the, the other boar that was eating him. That's very rarely happens. I've never seen it myself. Stuff like that usually happens to Gary for some reason. He's always got stories, you know, whatever. But, you know, but that doesn't happen very often. The bottom line, we just want to retrieve these bears and, and we, we use the tactic that best ups our success to do so. And it's worked. And it's worked. Usually if we lose a bear, it's because it was shot in the shoulder with an arrow. Uh, not very many gut shots. We've had some gut shots, in which case we, we definitely don't go in, and we wait and we wait, and then go in and, and you know, hopefully find them. But, and they don't go far. If you don't push them like any animal with a gut shot, it's pretty brutal. You know, As long as you leave them alone, they're, they're probably going to be within 100 yards and lay, you know, laid up, hopefully. Yeah. But, I think we've done like a good overview. What have I missed though? Like, cause I know there's going to be a lot of dudes going out for their first or second kind of black bear hunts this year. Um, any, any other like advice or things that you'd pass on to these dudes? Well, in BC, keep the meat, man. Like that's my wife is, isn't a, I mean, she didn't eat wild game before she met me nine years ago and bear is her favorite. Keep those forearms. Those are the best cuts on the bear, in my opinion. You know, Osabuco and whatever. It's just amazing cut of meat. Um, you know, I think, uh, and I I used to do two bear where guys could do two bears. I don't do that anymore. But you just got to realize these black bears are, are amazing animals. You know, I mean, they're solitary. They spend their life alone mostly unless they're sows but the big boars alone they've got a, a pretty good range uh i think it's a couple hundred miles over the course of a year that they they cruise through but 
a lot of people just want to shoot them and then go and shoot another one. And you got to realize, I mean, these are pretty special animals, even though there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of them. And it's quite an accomplishment to, to harvest or shoot a mature boar black bear. The story that he's got behind him is unbelievable, you know, what he's gone through. So I don't find it so much now, but 10, 12 years ago, the respect factor for black bears was like that of shooting uh, pigs. Right. Oh, they're everywhere. We just need to shoot them. And I do a lot of educating on that with guys who come up. It's just like, man, this thing deserves your utmost respect. He's a survivor. And, and it, in my opinion, I mean, I love hunting black bears and guiding black bears. They're just such a mysterious animal that is fascinating to me, you know, what they do and how they do it. And yeah, which I think nowadays most people are pretty respectful. You know, there's not winging bears and, you know, I had one guy that shot one and he, he didn't even want to take pictures because he had two tags. He goes, I, let's go shoot another one. And he owned this huge company in California and him and I got in a fight. He goes, no one talks to me like that where I come from. I said, well, you're not from where you come from. And I really don't care who you are, or what you think you are. We're going to take photos with this bear and we're going to respect this bear. We're going to skin him out. We're going to enjoy it. And then tomorrow we'll hunt again. And he never came back and I wouldn't let him back anyway, but I don't get many people like that. Nowadays, hunters are conservation minded and they understand it. And that's a good thing about the internet is that there's enough people out there pushing it. You know, Clay Newcomb with, with, uh, well, I think he's with meat eater now, but with bear hunting magazine, that dude is throwing stuff out all the time about conservation and, and, you know, doing what you need to do. So you shoot a bear, it's a good thing and enjoy it, man. And keep that neck meat too. That's another one. Oh, I love bear. I think the other thing that surprised me about bear, because like you don't need to have too many encounters with a big mule deer or a big elk to be like, I love hunting these things. And I don't want to say the fascination wears off, but once you've taken a nice example of the species, you feel like this, maybe, maybe the drive or the motivation isn't quite as high anymore. Where I found with bears... It's like the longer I hunt them, the more I like hunting them. And it's not even, it's just like being around them. I, I just like watching bears. And I think I like watching bears more now than I ever have. And every year I go out hunting them, like I just become that much more. There's like, I don't think that we can overstate the fact that they're a predator. They're not a prey. So when you're, when you're watching them, like bears do weird shit, like Deer and elk are pretty easy to explain. Like there's a couple motivating factors in their lives and they're responding to their environments and they do like pretty logical things. Whereas like bears will come into a field and then take a hard right and then like walk over there. And they're like, they just, yeah, I just find them super fascinating. And I've, I've almost become like more into just watching them even than, than making sure I kill one the longer, the longer I spend hunting them. And the big boars are savages, right? They're savages. You know, they, they kill cubs, a lot of cubs a year. And cause they want to breed the female. Uh, we've killed bears, big boars. Usually if I see a cow moose and this has happened twice, it's in labor or you can tell she's about ready to have a calf and you sit there and eventually a big boar is going to be following her and they'll follow them for days until they drop their calf and kill them. So, I have a lot of conversations with mostly uh, young ladies. Like I took a couple, couple, you know, I took yoga for a while and cause my body was beat up and 
and I'd give those those instructors meat, and they were just like, "How can you do that?" And I'd, I'd educate them on this is what these things do. Mm-hmm. They're vicious, and it, it, they're not friendly, you know, animals that you pet. It's dog eat dog, and and they don't hesitate to do it. So, by shooting a big boar black bear, you are actually increasing the bear population, mostly with the cubs, because they they do not hesitate to kill them. Yeah, for sure. So, um. Somebody just opened the door. Um, Did so, your your wife probably want to ask a couple questions? No, <laughs> I'm I'm sure she does. In fact, she was a little disappointed <laughs> that you didn't put a smart ass question for your own Q and A. She she checked in. I, I was that gonna. night. She's like, "Where's Jeff's question?" I'm like, "Jeff hasn't put a question in yet." She was. I got some like little crying emojis. She was pretty upset that yeah. we didn't get the typical uh, smart ass Jeff comment. I was going to say something about my job at Barclow jumped to it. He did beat you to that. So what's, yeah. let's, let's wrap things up here, but I'd love to hear, um, what do you got? Cause I know your guiding season is, is chock full, but what are your plans this year for, for hunting? Um, well, we moved to Texas. We've lived here for three weeks. So we're going to mosey back North, uh, mid April. Um, I won't, I won't have a chance to hunt bear. Um, I've got a caribou hunt, a flying caribou hunt planned for the end of August, beginning of September. Uh, right now, and then mule deer at the end of October. And then I hope to get on a, a lease down here for for axis and pigs and stuff. But I got to get a total uh, shoulder replacement in November. So Really? That'll probably. Yeah, it's yeah, it's gone. It's, it's what happens when you don't shoot a longbow right for thirty years? Yeah. It, it tears you up. So I uh, got that planned, which I got to learn how to shoot with with a mouth tap, which will be fun. But Shit. yeah, but no no real plans for sheep this year. You know, I've had my stone sheep hunt kind of messed up the last three years with weather and the dog being hurt and stuff. So. Something might happen there, but you can't just do it at 57. You just can't just go, oh, I'm going to go sheep hunt next week because yeah. it ain't going to happen. But uh, I'd like to because those years yeah. are coming to an end, you know, to do those kind of hunts. Whereas you're just starting them. So how about you? You're probably got all sorts of stuff. You're going with your dad. and Yeah, like I got fewer hunts this year than normal, but they're kind of longer. Um I don't know what my plans for spring bear are. This is the first year in a long time that it just might not happen with the bodybuilding competition. It's kind of going to be right in that last six, seven weeks. And I got to be pretty religious with my food and cardio. And I'll probably also be a pretty shitty person to be around because the calories are so low. So I'm not, I'm not really stressing. There's a couple dudes here who've never hunted before that I might just take out for some day hunts in Squamish and Hope. Um, just to get them out in the field. So we'll see what happens there. The big one for me, I'm going to do fly in sheep 14 days solo. Um, Oh really? Yeah. 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 I was going back and forth, man. And uh, you know, I, I kind of switched up my attitude. This cat is driving me nuts, man. I kind of switched up my attitude. I kept trying to figure out a way that I could go kill a sheep this year, whether that was, maybe finding somebody that, you know, had some experience or maybe somebody wanted to share a spot. And then like the longer I thought about it, the more I realized 
my perspective was flawed and that because the other what, what the problem was I kept trying to pick a spot and because I didn't have a perfect spot I was like paralyzed like there's 40 lakes to go to I don't know like one seems just as good as the other and then so I actually just picked this like gigantic area and thought if I had five to ten years I could cover off this whole area so I'm just going to start down here in the corner I'm going to go into this lake and I'm going to look at this as like my quest for a sheep. And I'm just going to start taking stuff off maps and like trying to figure the area out on my own, which I think before social media and Google earth, like that's how everybody did shit. Like you just went out into the field and you tried to figure it out. So I, um, I booked a float plane. I cleared it with the old lady. She's going to give me 14 days. I want to go in solo. And I bought, um, it's not here yet, but I bought one of those alpaca pack rafts because on the lake, there's like three or four kind of different ranges that you can access to. And I thought it'd be super efficient. And I don't plan on packing the raft. I'm going to leave the raft at the lake, but I also don't know because I've never been dropped off by a float plane before. I've gone in with plane, but never to a lake. And I'm sure he's going to be limited into which parts of the lake he can actually like let me off at. And if that, what if that's not the part of lake I want to hike in from like walking around lakes are a nightmare. So this way I can bounce kind of back. And so that's the big one for me. And then taking my old man and my brother on a caribou hunt for 10 days in September. And then I'm going on a guided whitetail hunt North of Edmonton. Um, third last week of November. So those three big mm-hmm. hunts. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Should be a good year. I think the, the, the float plane will drop you where, as long as he's got clearance on his floats, he'll drop you wherever you want. Right. Yeah. I could be over, I could be overthinking the issue. Um, but I did think it'd be nice to be able to bounce across with that pack raft. And then also depending on where I got to get picked up, who knows, maybe I could chuck a sheep in it and drag it up the river or something. New experience. Well, it's Mikhail that you needed to talk on that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, that was a good score. Uh, you know, you've had some, you've had some good people on your on your deal there. You know, Foss and Mikhail, and I mean, seriously, like that dude is legit. Both of them are, but I mean, from the pack raft standpoint, I would be picking his brain hard. Yeah, hard. I sent him an email because I I'd picked one that will actually double. It's their smaller tandem one, and I can actually use it to take my daughter fishing because we do all this truck camping in the summertime, and we're always at these small mm-hmm. lakes, but we don't have a boat. And then I thought, oh, but I, if I get the bigger kind of middle of the road, it'll be small enough for me to use myself, but then big enough that we can go out into the middle of the lake and do a little bit of fishing, and she can jump off the side and have a little swim and you know, do all that kind of stuff. So I hit him up with like what I was looking at and all that stuff. And he was super good, man. Looked into it all, got back to me and and let me know which one he thought was best. And yeah, he's a wealth of information on that. And he's been doing that since before it was even like a thing. Like they were using like just garbage equipment and stuff like 10, 15, 20 years ago compared to what we got now. I love how the dude runs like 50 miles with compass on the map through middle. And I mean, yeah, who does that? But yeah. he does, and it's yeah. hardcore. Cool. No, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah. Well, do it all when you can, dude, because eventually you're going to be like, huh, I'm limited. So yeah, you you got the capabilities to the financial, but you know, financial and and health and stuff to do it. Because eventually, that I heard Renella the other day talking about 
he was doing an Ibex hunt. I just watched that one yesterday when he's talking about the knee and the Kevin, the squirrel hunter guy was, I was like, that's, that's yeah, I could relate, man. I was like, that's pretty, that one hit home. Yeah. Hit home. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So do it now. No, I'm grateful. I got the opportunity. Packs dude. No. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I got to trim it down a little bit. And I got to trim yeah. me down. That's the other thing going in there at 250, 260, 270. Like it's just idiotic. Like it's irresponsible. I'm doing unnecessary damage to my body. So that was the other reason why the, the bodybuilding competition had to come now because I'm just like, I'm done. I'm 43. I'm not supposed to be walking around in this weight. So I'm excited to go sheep hunting it. I'll probably be like 210. Um, and that's going to be 50 pounds off my back from what I went in at last year and probably still relatively same strength, you know? Well, we look forward to seeing all the flexing pictures and all the before and after and, you know, that fun stuff. I'll get a nice shirtless grip and grin for you. (laughs) Please do. All right, man. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time and and spread the knowledge and enjoy yourself. Say hi to Lana for me. And I'm glad you're down in Texas enjoying the sun. Oh yeah. It's awesome. It's always good hanging with you, bud. All right, man. Chat soon. All right. Cheers. You bet. See ya. Well, there you go, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Um, that was super educational. Even for me, a guy who's talked to Jeff, you know, lots over the years. I probably text and talk to that guy more than anyone else I know. It was still cool to have all that information kind of condensed into one episode. So I'm super grateful he was able to take the time to hop on the podcast today. As always, if you could take a moment, engage with the podcast, like, share, comment, subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, or head over to mindfulhunter.com slash shop, pick up some merch. It's always greatly appreciated. And other than that, thanks for tuning in.